0: A little bit of context going into the opening of Part 2 is that it follows directly on from where Part 1 ended. So if you haven't listened to his stories about being the director of 616 Paranormal Incident, it may feel like a weird jumping-off point where we are. But just wanted to offer you that context in case you come to this cold and not straight from or soon after listening to Part 1. I thoroughly recommend you go back and listen to part one if you've not already. Enjoy part two, David Churchill. You are listening to the Britflix Frightfest preview podcast. Let's get back to Bad Match then. Let's talk. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> More or less, this this is like the first movie where I've had like so real sort of creative control.
0: I was, was going to say. So the long and short of it is, this is this is officially a kind of de- directorial feature debut because yeah. you you're you've had a hand in making it happen as opposed to thrust onto something like yes. like a cow is shuttled into an abattoir.
1: Yes, yes. Like I can credit the flaws of Bad Match. Are my own doing, you know. I can take credit <laughs> for the flaws of the movie, whereas the other one, I, I, you know, it was just a nightmare. So,
0: so going with with that in mind, then I'm I'm guessing there isn't lessons to be learned from, apart from don't let people push you to do push you into doing a film in nine days when you don't really yeah. you know when you don't really want to. Um, yeah. So going going taking what you had on the page and as you've developed it, what was um. What were, what were the elements of the screenplay for you that were going to be the most difficult for for the shoot? Where, where were you having to pull the production rabbits out of the hat, as it were, for what you hoped to achieve?
1: You know, honestly, production itself was pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the difficult things was there's a lot of locations in the movie, which is okay. always, like, you know a death knell, but um, it was important because I wanted it to be an L.A. movie and the guys going on dates, and so, like, you know, we did as much... I did as much as I could to sort of, like, condense certain locations to be the same location. Got you. Um, but, you know, on the budget that we had and we're shooting at, like, bars, you know, that were working bars, we couldn't afford to rent those bars out during the day. Um, we had to shoot when they closed. So the day would start at 2 a.m. and go to 2 p.m. And we did about four of those days in a row. And one thing I learned on, like, the making of this movie was that a huge part of directing is not even necessarily being, like, creative in a vacuum. It's, like, being able to function on, like, an hour and a half of sleep a night and having to make, like, major just creative decisions when really things are swirling in your head. And the only thing you're thinking of is like, man, wouldn't it be great if I could just sleep right now? And like someone is asking you like something that's ultimately going to be in the movie for the rest of however long movies exist, Yeah, you know, and having to make those decisions kind of on the fly when you're like, I I don't even know where I am right now.
0: Yes. It's a a common theme that with, with interviews I've done on the podcast is that it's, it's, while you can be fully aware that a director has to be aware of the minutiae and be flying a helicopter that can see the whole of the movie at the same time, knowing it doesn't yeah, pre- doesn't, does, doesn't prepare you for it, does it?
1: No, and it's 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 honestly it's different. I mean, there's one scene in the movie in particular where like I, I was watching it and I I was we were there we were shooting it and yeah. I and like. I was like, this isn't working for me. What? What's the matter? Why isn't this scene giving me what I want? And, you know, the first thing you think is like, oh, it's the performances. You know, I, there's something about the performances. And then you go, oh, maybe it's something about the blocking or maybe it's the camera angle. And we never – its it's fine. It works in the movie. But we never quite got it to where I wanted it to be. And I realized only after sort of having the space to look back is like, oh, This person had, you know, needed to a a prop that this person is holding needed to be switched in the other hand. Like something as simple as that (laughs) was like something that was completely out of my, yeah, because I just, you look at the mat, you look at these, all these different things and you realize like, you know, there's this story, and again, I'm, I'm sorry to be long winded here, but I, I, as I was watching the movie, uh, you know, as I was watching this interview, I, it, it made me think about my own movie. Yeah. Like, where I was watching an old interview with Martin Scorsese, yeah. and, like, uh, he's talking about the movie New York, New York. And right. there's this scene where, like, Robert De Niro shows up with uh, Liza Minnelli, and he's, like, banging on, he's trying to get married in the middle of the night. And he bangs on this door, on this glass door, and one of the glass panels knocks out. And then the priest comes and like, or the, you know, the preacher comes out and he's like, oh, it's three o'clock in the morning, and he's like, Oh, please, will you marry us right here? And they do. But the coverage itself is like wide shot, you know, two shot, two shot. And yes. uh and I thought to myself, like, oh look, Scorsese's doing simple coverage here it's just in you know the play of the the actors and it's easy and then he's talking about this scene and he's like yeah so we had four days to shoot this scene and we spent two days on just the master and we didn't even realize that we wanted you know originally like for 12 takes robert de niro didn't break that piece of the window and then he did he we came up with that you know like a day and a half into shooting that master and then we got you know and so you realize like so much of it is just like having the time and the lack of pressure, I guess, to get it right on your first try that, you know, makes some of these movies what they are. Because when you're dealing with these low budgets and like small shooting schedules, it's just like the the pressure is so high that you feel like you have to get it right instantly. And for me, I know I was looking at, My favorite directors like Brian De Palma, Scorsese, all these people who like, I'm like, oh, they know it right off the bat. You know, they just have it in intrinsically, instinctually in their own heads. But really, they don't. It's just that they have this wide berth that they're able to. I was going to say, have
0: you read Devil's Candy?
1: I haven't, but I I should.
0: Well, in Devil's Candy, De Palma is quoted as saying he describes making a film. As entering a tunnel, and the only way out is the other end, even though you can't see it. Yeah, totally. So I think I think it's safe to say he was he was running on all kinds of instinct, and it's been done before, so I'm sure I'll do it. And whatever else it is, um, yeah, I'd recommend that book. By the way, if you've never, yeah, if no, if I know, fan. I need I need
1: to read it. It's it's a it's a major glaring uh, blank spot in my
0: knowledge you can't read everything so you know no but bit. i
1: have to i don't have to read one thing and i could read that instead
0: <laughs> it's like I, I i i often think that i've seen the film nostril picker but i've not seen empire strikes back so i, I it's one of them weird i'm di- sure nostril picker
1: has <laughs> all that you could possibly need you know you don't need at this point do you even really need to see empire strikes back I everybody knows what I the deal still- if you know what Swift is this
0: no, you're right, I can't see it, but it does always make me laugh when I think of some of the films I have seen and the fact that that's, that's voted like, you know, God knows what art as a competition is, but, you know, it's voted as one of the... as In a commercial sense, one of the right. best films ever. And I've never seen it. And It's like it's one of, of those weird things that I just never... It's never going to get fixed.
1: You know what? I support it. I fully support you of not... Never <coughs>
0: seen uh, Empire Strikes Back. Onwards and upwards. Um, yeah. So, so, if that... It, so talk us through some of those, to, to getting some of those locations then. So if you've got, if you can't offer people money and you're in the city of angels, which knows that movies mean money, how do you convince venues that you've got them and let, and, let, and they let you use it for not a lot of money if they want any at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we definitely, we had some money to give, but mm-hmm. just not enough to say like, Hey, shut down you know, your operations for the day, and let us shoot here, and you know, we can pay you more than you would. I mean, there's, there's some places, like, it. there was a couple, um, one location I wrote in, which is like this video game uh, bar. Yeah. Because I knew the owner. And so I was like, you know what, I bet he'd let us shoot here, and he did. And it's like a great location, and he is really nice and awesome, but so like, I wrote that into the script. You know, because especially once you know you're shooting and once you know what your budget is, like, that for me is when, at least in this case, it was, like, time to take the script and go, okay, so what's realistic, what's not, you know, how can we make this work? Um, another one, oddly, was, like, uh, this bar that I actually had written, because I, t- I wanted to use all real locations in L.A. in the mm. script. Um and i wrote why why why
0: was that was was you just didn't want to shoot on a soundstage at all or just
1: honestly for me visually i think it's like i can and i think i know sort of that east side la world pretty well and so it helped me like visualize the character if my actor wants to like go to the bar that he's, like, referenced in the script that he takes the, all these girls to on his, you know, dates or whatever. He can do that, and he can go, oh, okay, so, like, I go to the smog cutter. This is what the smog cutter is. It's kind of a divy bar, but it's got this, like, personality, and so it's, like, I can look cool while at the same time, like, not spending a lot of money on drinks and, you know, impressing these girls. So, I don't know. To me, it was just, like, why not write the real locations in and then you know sort of reverse engineered from there and I was gonna say it it
0: sounds it sounds like it's like you're you're giving yourself like ready-made subtext aren't you really it's like wherever your character yeah wherever your character goes you're dressing him up in the place you take him to aren't you so it's
1: yeah yeah well I think it's important you know like I think it's important to kind of have that be instead of just having I mean like The office where he worked, like, I didn't really describe that office. Like, that office could be anywhere. Whatever office location we could find and afford, let's shoot it there. That doesn't matter that much. Like, the design of it kind of does, but when you're reading a script, it doesn't really matter. But, like, when you're location scouting, when you're whatever, like, saying – Drawing room, saying, uh, you know, button mash, saying whatever, like Mm. it really helps sort of the crew kind of without me having to directly speak to them. It sort of just helps everybody kind of, you know, they're going to be doing a lot of work and being paid not a lot of money. So however you can help them ease their, you know, their search, the better.
0: What was your conversations like with your DOP?
1: So that was another thing I was actually gonna bring up in terms of like challenges. And they weren't challenges in the um in the shooting necessarily, but like one of the things that we talked about was um, you know, like De Palma is a huge influence on this movie. Okay. And um, you know, so we went and like we sat down and we watched Blowout and Dress to Kill and um you know, some of body double and, uh, and a lot of it was going, you know, like we wanted to do a lot of long takes and it was kind of like, how can we how can we almost edit the movie before we've ever shot a frame? Okay. And so we spent a lot of time doing shot lists where we would sort of, we would sit down and we would come up with every single shot that we could possibly imagine for the scene, and then this is you and the DOP.
0: This is you and the DOP, or you and the producers?
1: No, me and the me and the DOP. Okay. And we would come up with like every shot we could imagine that would be awesome for the okay. movie. Um, and then we would take those shots, and then the AD would look at it and he'd be like, "Are you fucking insane?" Like. No, you we have 10 hours here. You can't do any you can't do half of these. So then you sort of start to like <laughs> scribble away and you're like all right, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. But a big part of it was making sure that like there're scenes where it's just like the camera's sitting there and you know, we get we get our master and then we get move in for coverage. But a lot of the shots in the movie are like sort of we only had one steady cam day, but a lot there's a lot of dolly shots, there's a lot of like um, you know, sort of rotating camera shots. Um, And we just wanted to make sure that we were like telling the story in the most cinematic way that we possibly could and not necessarily finding the movie in the edit, which I think happens a lot, especially on these like low budget movies, which is fine, mm. but that's just not necessarily the movie that I was really interested in making. I wanted to make, you know, something that was like super cinematic, and that if you saw it on a big screen, it would be more interesting than watching it on your, you know, VOD TV or whatever, even though most of these movies are only going to be, be seen on VOD anyway, but it was just something that was important to me.
0: Well, no, but I think, but I think that the the idea of, it, of, of trying to deliver a cinematic vision is it's not to be underestimated. I mean, I see, I see enough films, you know, coming over my doorstep through BritFlix that are, you know, independent no-budget British movies. And you, you, you have to wonder whether they've ever seen a film before. Never mind. They've <laughs> yeah, yeah. got a favourite director. Do, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I do, yeah. I, it amazes me, because... We, and I speak into, I've spoken to people who, who teach film, and the, there seems to be a kind of pattern at the moment where the, the growth of digital as a medium to shoot film films on Mm-hmm. Has, has meant that people just seem to be so obsessed with just getting coverage and not getting yes. sh- not getting shots. And, and obviously cinema is the language of the moving image, isn't it? And so yes. it has to talk. It can't just be a series of images and you get you get language. That'd be like just writing loads of random words and going, there's my script.
1: Right, right, absolutely. And, you
0: know, I mean, I so get I, so it. I, well, I'm, I'm with you 100% is what I'm saying.
1: Great, I appreciate it. I'm glad. I, knew, I there's there's the, you know there's a lot of us out there I hope. <laughs> and um you know I I think that like I get doing it the other way because when you're on such a tight schedule it's like you you have to make sure that you have a movie in the can when you're done shooting otherwise you're fucked. Mm. But um you know for this one I mean I got really fortunate in that our crew was, like, amazing. And Ed Wu, who's our, um, our DP, like, was, t- t- like, phenomenal. And so it was, like, our gaffer, Nico, and, like, these guys had all gone to AFI together. They're all graduates of, like, the AFI, um, you know, like, film school or whatever. And so they had all sort of already had this working rapport And so it was great because they could just sort of talk to each other sort of seamlessly and they knew what was going on and Ed knew, and you know, Ed and I had talked so much that we sort of had this weird mind meld at one point where like we didn't even have to, I would be like, hey Ed here's an I, and then he'd be like, I'm I'm already there, and like the next take you know, we would do this zoom in where, you know, we didn't have one before and it was exactly what I was thinking, exactly what he was thinking. And so Honestly, if I didn't have the crew, I don't know if we would have been able to pull off all the stuff that we were able to pull off because it was pretty ambitious. I mean, there's like some long – and look, you'll see the movie eventually. There's some parts where you're like, fuck, I wish I had something to cut to here. And we Mm -hmm. don't, but, you know, that's sort of the price you pay. And then there's some where, like, we have this one really long – Shot that's like maybe like a three, and maybe it's less than three minutes, but it's like a three minute long take. And it was actually accidental. Like we did coverage, but this take was just the one to use. And You're like, right. it's it was just, it was so good that we didn't have to do any editing. And, you know, that's kind of ultimately, if one day I ever get a budget that's big enough to, you know, have the luxury of a lot of time like that's how I would want to make my movies with like as little coverage as, as possible
0: what's your um what's your favorite memory from shooting the movie you know in terms of you you've described sort of moments where the 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 sort of the, the the task sort of maybe maybe the the overall aim of making the movie and the lack of sleep may have been sort of shaping you as you go but do you do you have, what do you have like a a kind of abiding from memory that that kind of like yes, I'm doing, I'm doing this
1: yeah, I mean we like we had a lot of fun it was mm. it was hard, but like there was never almost never any like arguing on set, I mean, I think like one day when we were shooting outside, everybody was just like kind of upset because you know it was outside and it was hot, and we were tired, but um. So the whole movie itself was fun and obviously like, you know, the cliche of a dream come true, but I think for me the most like, one of the most surreal moments certainly, or the moment where I was like, oh my god, this is really happening, Hmm. is like um, coming in for, like, I think our first department heads meeting.
0: Yeah.
1: And like seeing, you know, 12, 15 people at these tables, and, like, everyone is there, like, to do this movie, and, like, suddenly, like, this script that I wrote that i have been living with for a year and a half is, like, there's a bunch of other people who are, like, working on it, like, it's their thing, which it is, and it just, like, sort of warmed my heart that we were all, like, in this team, and, like, I was, like, oh my god, this is a real I, it's no longer me, like, typing emails or talking to my line producer on the phone like, hey, can we get this location or what can we do? Suddenly, like, all this theoretical talk became a reality when you're, like, looking at cups that they're going to have at Harris's apartment. And you're like, oh, shit, one of these cups is going to be in the movie. Like, wow, cups. You know, so, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, that, it's those small moments for me that, like, are, you know, like. Representative of the bigger whole that were really sort of like exciting for me. And then there was another part where I can't give away too much because it happens sort of, it's at the end of the movie, but where yeah. I was like, I was watching it and I felt, you know, because a lot of times you, as a director, like for me at least, you're, you're, you have to intellectualize a lot of stuff when you're there because you're always looking for something. Like, I'm looking at the monitor, and I'm like, okay, this performance, is, it, is this working? Is this shot working? Is, like, is the sound working? Is the production design good? Is this prop in full view? And then there's just one scene where it's, like, there's, at the end, there's, like, a lot of big dialogue, monologue stuff. And I was just, like, completely, like, sucked in where I, I think I maybe even, like, forgot to call cut. You know, where like I just was like, oh shit, this is good.
0: Oh really? <laughs> you, you, you you suck yourself into your own movie, as it were. Yeah, yeah. For, that's for better than
1: for worse, probably. But like, you know, and, and I it I hope again that like if I like it, I think that there's enough people out there that will also like it. I mean that's one of the things I learned on Cheap Thrills where, you know, I, we wrote this script, and it was like, man, I don't think anybody. This this is funny to me, and I and like it was funny to Evan, the director, and and it turned out to be funny for a lot of other people. So I can only so you realize like, okay, as, if I write something for myself, if I like this thing that I'm doing, I think that maybe there's enough weirdos out there like me that will also like
0: what it is. Indeed, indeed. I, I, I raised my hand as a member of that cheap thrill club <laughs> great yeah. Yeah. well look one last, one last question for you um, sure because I think we could we could talk till, till I get night time I've still got daylight here so even though it's yeah. 8 o'clock at night Um, I, actually in fact one last question was so I'm guessing that that there's this, a similar sense of a dark sense of humor as you wrote into cheap thrills. That's going to come out through this, or is this, or is bad match more of a straight faced sort of? Um, yeah, th- actually thinking about your Brandon Palmer examples, maybe it's not. But you tell me.
1: Um, I mean, I'll say this: there's a very intense scene, and the entire time the guy's wearing a T-shirt that says "fart loading." <laughs> So, like, to me, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets pretty dark. Like, it gets really dark. But um, it's funny to me, you know? I don't think it's as... It's not like a... Sh- to me, Cheap Thrills was a sh- was a comedy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is definitely more in, like, thriller territory. But uh, for those of us who have that sort of super dark... Sense of humor. I I think there's a lot of laughs in it too.
0: Just, I mean, this is quite kind of an abstract thought, but do you think that De Palma would recognize his influences on you in this movie?
1: God, I don't know. There's one shot we stole directly from him, so uh, (laughs) maybe he would recognize that. You know, I hope so. I mean, look, you plan a Brian De Palma shot and then you get on set and you're like, holy shit. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be, um, but I hope that I mean like I I don't know I really have no idea. He would probably just be like, "What? Well, who cares? Movies are terrible now." Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I you know I don't know. I hope but, so.
0: But I think but there's always something. I mean I think there's always something to be had from from aspiring to direct influences. I remember um, I don't know if you're familiar with the UK band uh, Happy Mondays at all. Does that name mean anything to you? No. Okay, well they they they, they, they 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 got quite big and stuff and they, they went into the studio and they, their ambition was we're gonna make a slime family stone record. Mm-hmm. Now they now they didn't make one, but they went in with the attitude they were. Yeah. And obviously that came out with something that became their own. So maybe, hopefully, you know, with you with what you've done, you have that kind of you go in with that I wanna do you know, I wanna do something that is is like what I admire about Brian DeParmer, but but oh, oh, Ultimately, you'll you'll always own it as yours because no no ideas in a vacuum anyway, you
1: know. No, no, no. I mean, if if um, if the reviews come out and they even mention Brian De Palma as like a, an aftertaste that they picked up on, I will be very very happy.
0: Okay. I see where you going. Hint
1: hint, nudge, nudge.
0: You I've know been, what I, I mean? I've been I've got a big elbow in my, in my ribs right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah, won't yeah, be able to yeah. move till August bank holiday.
1: <laughs> I, I reached right through that Skype screen and uh...
0: <laughs> Well look, thank you very much for uh, Thank you giving us the lowdown on Bad Match. It's 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 amazing you've got your uh, your world premiere. You know, I mean I, I said this to others as well. I mean, have you been to London before?
1: I've never been, no.
0: And are you coming for your film?
1: I'm coming, I'll be there.
0: Cool. Well, you do realise that your world premiere is at a cinema that is also, like, the home of world premieres, as it were. Leicester Square oh, really? is where the press and the media go when there's world premieres in, in Britain. That's the that's the place. You're in. I mean, this you'll see when you get there, there's about four cinemas around Leicester Square.
1: That's amazing. I mean, like, I'm... I'm excited to be there. I've never been. I have always wanted to go. And I've heard, I mean, literally nothing. Like every single person I've talked to, and this is without hyperbole, who has done the festival circuit and has been to Fright Fest, is like Fright Fest is my favorite festival. So I'm I'm thrilled. I, I can't wait.
0: All I was going to say to you, though, is there has been a little bit of American influence around Leicester Square, so oh do boy. your best to ignore the M&M building. Okay. It's, it's still, it, I, I still cannot get used to it myself, that there's a two-story <laughs> building dedicated to chocolates in the centre of London.
1: Well, maybe it means uh, <laughs> Mary Manchester, I don't know. <laughs> cut well, that part out. Feel free to cut that out, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't falter for it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm from Manchester I'll, originally. Oh well, great then. Keep it in. Of course, there, there, there was no, there was nothing further from my mind. Yeah, but, good. <laughs> so look, congratulations on the movie. Thank Congra- you. Congratulations Thank on on getting a world premiere at one of the one of the best festivals there is. And uh, have a ball when you uh, come to the rural Britannia. And uh, hopefully, I get to maybe ch- drink a beer with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll be at the bar, and I will be drinking. <sighs>
0: Listening to Please. the Breathlets fright Fest Preview Podcast.